Mark chapter 3, verse 16. Last week, uh, we talked a little bit about the 12 apostles. We talked a little bit about discipleship, uh, or excuse me, let me rephrase that. We talked a little bit about disciples and about apostles and that uh, all Christians are disciples uh, and some disciples are apostles. In this case, we were talking about and are talking about uh, the 12 apostles of Jesus, but there were a few other apostles who were mentioned in Scripture. Uh, but oftentimes when we hear the word apostle, we think about these 12. Sometimes we refer to them as disciples or apostles. So if I say disciples today, you know uh, what I'm talking about. In some ways, as we talked about last week, there are things that apostles uh, are given the ability to do by God that not every Christian, not every disciple can do. Uh, but many of the things that the uh, apostles are called to do are things that we as Christians are all called to do. As disciples of Jesus Christ, there are many things that the apostles did that we are to do as well, although they were gifted in a few areas, uh, maybe a little more so than, than some of us today, although some of those gifts do still exist. Uh, so we were uh, read uh, verses 13, 14, and 15 last week, and we just kind of looked at uh, what really made an apostle an apostle. Uh, one of those things is that they, they followed Jesus. Now, that's something that we're all called to do. Uh, they followed Jesus, they listened to him, they followed his example, and he really poured into these 12 men. He was preparing them for the work, for the ministry that was to come. And so today we'll just look at who these 12 were, and we will talk a little more about uh, the apostles and a little more about discipleship and how God can use us in our life. Mark chapter 3, verse 16. He appointed the 12. To Simon he gave the name Peter. And to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the name Bonergis, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Let's pray. God, we see these lists of these men, and I pray today that you help us to see how you use them uh, in Scripture. And God, I pray that you help us to see how you can use us. I pray that you just hide me behind the cross. I pray that you give me the ability to preach and teach in a way that will bring uh, glory to you, that will draw us closer to you. And I pray that you open our hearts and open our minds and open our ears so that we can hear and open our eyes, God, so that we can see your word. And I pray that your word would do a mighty work in our heart today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here in this list, as well as some other spots, we see these lists of these 12 apostles on a few occasions in the New Testament. Now, some of these apostles we see more regular than others. There are some we know a little bit more about. They kind of play a more prominent role. There are others that the only time we see their name mentioned is in the list that lists the 12. Then we don't know much about them. There are many of them that we don't know much about. There are some that it talks about later on in the New Testament. Church history would tell us the fate of some and things that they had to endure and how their life was taken. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say a lot about some of these apostles, but it does say a lot about others. Now, we have a list here, and some of these names you've heard before. Now, one thing that's worth pointing out here is that depending on where you are reading this list at, there are other lists of the 12 in the New Testament, and some of the names may be different. And you may be scratching your head thinking, well, wait a minute, that name's not in that list, or this name is in that list. Well, it is the same 12 in all the lists, 
Although, as you may know if you've read the Bible much, is that often people went by multiple names. That's not uncommon for us to see in Scripture. For example, uh, we were just studying in Acts chapter 15 and 16 and 13 this morning in our Sunday school class, and we come across uh, a guy who is referred to as John uh, early on in the book, and then he's referred to as John Mark. Uh, and we see the same person who has two names. Now, some translations will say John, who was also known as Mark. Others will just say John. It was not uncommon for people to go by different names, to have multiple names that they went by. We even see it in this list, that there was Simon, who Jesus gave the name Peter. And so, uh, even amongst the disciples, Jesus called some of them different names. Uh, we saw with James and John, Jesus called them the Sons of Thunder which was probably not a positive name, although it could have been. It was probably a negative connotation there that maybe described their character. So as you're reading through these lists of the twelve, you may see different names in your Bible, uh, but it was, it was the same twelve uh, throughout this whole time that Jesus was with them, apart from Judas, who betrayed Jesus and was later replaced by Matthias. Now, Mark gives us a list of the twelve here right at the beginning of the book of Mark in chapter 3. But Mark, however, would not have been a very good mystery writer because he's already told us who done it. He tells us at the end of this passage we just read that it's Judas who did it, that Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus. So he's telling you, look, it's the accountant and the garden with a kiss. He's telling you who it is, where it happened, and how he betrayed him. So uh, Mark already tells us from the get-go who is going to be the one who is going to betray Judas. Now, Judas plays a pretty significant role, obviously, because of his betrayal. And we see a little bit about Judas throughout the rest of the New Testament text because of what he did in his betraying of Jesus Christ. Now, on this list, there are three names that you see repeated a little more frequently in the New Testament. And they are usually together, or at least they are on some occasions. And that is Peter, James, and John. Now, they were three of the apostles, but if we could call them the inner circle of Jesus, as some scholars would, I think that that's fair for us to do that. Because it seems as though Jesus kind of separated them out. He called those three to come with him on multiple occasions, and it was just those three. And it seemed as though he was spending a little more time with them, or investing a little more with them. Now, you may could say that Jesus picked favorites, but I don't think that that's it at all. I think Jesus loved all the apostles equally. I don't think that that's an issue, even though it says in the scriptures that uh, it refers to John as the uh, apostle Jesus loved or the one Jesus loved. I don't think that Jesus necessarily loved one more than the other, but that brings out an important point. Why would Jesus focus on, let's say, Peter, James, and John more so than some of the other apostles that aren't really mentioned significantly throughout the scriptures? Well, I believe it's because Jesus may have saw some potential in them that he may not have seen in other apostles and other in the others. They didn't have the same strengths. They didn't have the same weaknesses. Now, uh, that's one of the points that I would like to make today that I think is valuable for us to look at when we look at these lists of the twelve and think about the twelve who were with Jesus. Uh, Jesus, in this list of twelve people that he chose, one thing that we can notice is that Jesus chose a variety of people. Jesus didn't choose uh, the most religious people of the day. Uh, if he was going to do that, he would have had a, a, a body of 12 Pharisees because they were super religious. 
Jesus didn't choose a bunch of priests to serve as his apostles. Instead, Jesus chose a variety of men from all walks of life that all had different strengths and different abilities. Uh, some were fishermen, some were a tax collector, some were a zealot. Uh, we see these things, that there is much difference in those that Jesus chose. Some of them we don't know anything about. We don't know what they did or where they come from. But even just in those three I just mentioned, boy, that's a big difference between those, between being a fisherman and between being a tax collector and between being a zealot. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Some of you may not have been here. Uh, but a zealot was someone who was radically opposed to the Roman way. They did not like Rome. Now, Rome was the powerhouse of the day, and, and Rome was kind of in control and trying to uh, make the Jewish people do what they wanted them to do. And Rome wasn't ex extremely harsh, I would, I would say, at least on some level to the Jewish people, as long as the Jewish people would listen to what the Romans had to say. Of course, many times the Jewish people did not want to listen to what the Romans had to say and do what the Romans told them to do. And a zealot was someone who was really extreme. They would have been the most outspoken. They were very zealous against the Jewish, or excuse me, the Roman people. So a zealot was someone who was, who was greatly opposed to those people of Rome. They would have been the ones like we see people out sometimes protesting with their signs up, the ones that are really on fire or really passionate about an issue, whether right or wrong. Uh, they really get out and, and make a big fuss about it. Well, that would have been similar to what a zealot would have been. They would have been someone who would have been trying to start a rebellion against the Roman uh, Empire. They would have been trying to gather up other Jews to get on their side. And here, as one of the apostles of Jesus, we see Simon, who was a zealot. Now, of all the people for Jesus to choose, he cho chose a zealot. Now, I believe Jesus chose these 12 specifically for, for their different gifts and their different abilities that they had and, and the different things that they could do. Now, in Simon's case, Simon the zealot, he was obviously very zealous. Now, before he came to, to Jesus, he was maybe zealous for the wrong reasons, but being zealous, having that quality, is a good quality to have. Uh, we need to be zealous for the Lord. We need to be passionate for the Lord. We need to be excited about taking a stand for the Lord and, and showing people love and grace and forgiveness. If our zeal is, is planted and founded on being zealous for the Lord, that's a good thing. Now, if we are zealous for other things that are evil, that are causing problems or conflict among other people or among the church, then our zeal is not a good thing. A zeal can be good or bad depending on what you are zealous for. Now, Simon had a lot of zeal. He was a passionate man. And some of us might have said, well, we're not picking him. He's a troublemaker. He's, he's not going to do anything. We're going to pass him by. If we're, if we're making a core group of people who are gonna, we're going we're gonna to raise up to lead the church uh, into the future once Jesus is gone, we might look at somebody like Simon and say, I'm not picking him. But yet that's who Jesus chose. Isn't that good? That's reassuring for me. Because Jesus chose some misfits, some people that, that you wouldn't think would, he would want to be part of his kingdom and, and want to pour into, but he did. And Jesus knew that Simon was very zealous, but what Jesus was able to do is he was able to take Simon from being zealous about, zealous about what he was about and be zealous for him. It's, it's significant that Jesus chose a zealot because he also chose a tax collector. 
a tax collector in those days, which Matthew was, uh, would have been someone who would have been for hire for the Roman government. It would have been a Jewish person, at least in the case of Matthew, who placed a bid to be able to collect taxes for the, for the Roman Empire. They would collect as many taxes as they had to turn in, and they would get whatever extra they could from the people, and they would keep it from themselves. They were thieves. Uh, they were not looked upon very highly among the people. Uh, the zealot would have, would have hated the, uh, the tax collector who would have been working with the Roman Empire. And so here you have two people who are of completely different uh, lifestyles here with completely different mindsets, and yet Jesus calls them to serve and follow him. Again, the same with Simon. Some of us may say, well, I'm not, I would never pick a tax collector. He's a thief. I would go looking for all the priests, all the best people, all the nicest people, all the, the people who are at the front of the church. Those are the ones that I would pick, and those are the ones that we would pick. But those are not the ones that Jesus picked. Jesus usually selects those that may not be the obvious choice because Jesus looks at the heart. He knows what's really in us. Now, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our sins, he knows our faults, and he knows our failures. But he also knows that sometimes those things that are a weakness to us could be a strength would we use those things to serve him. And that's exactly what I believe Jesus did with these 12. We also have fishermen that are in the bunch. We know that Peter and some others uh, were fishermen. So these were people that came uh, from all walks of life. Even the James and John, who were referred to as sons of thunder, uh, it's almost certain that this title was one of, 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 of a negative sense and that maybe they were a little hot-headed. Maybe they were a little bold, and indeed they were. We see in scriptures that they were so bold as to ask Jesus, oh, when we get to heaven with you, can we sit on your right and, and on your left? And, of course, that made the other disciples angry. But we see little things like that. Uh, we see one instance where uh, there are some who are rejecting Jesus, and James and John said, let us call fire down from heaven to destroy him. Now, they were ready to go. They were ready to take care of these people. They were bold. But that's not how Jesus wanted them to be. Now, we might be the same way. We might be a little like James and John. Perhaps we might should be called sons or daughters of thunder in that sometimes we want to do things that are a little extreme. But Jesus said, nope, we're not going to do that. But that was a good quality that they had, that wanting to be bold, that wanting to be at the forefront, that wanting to stand up for Jesus, to be passionate in that way. That's a great thing. But they were not using their passion and their zeal in a way that God would desire them to, to further his kingdom. And so Jesus, for three and a half years, give or take a few months, really poured into these men. He took these, uh, these broken men that had their flaws, that had their rough edges, that had their, uh, their sinfulness and maybe came from a bad background or lived a bad uh, lifestyle, and he worked with these men and he poured into them and they saw how he lived. They saw how he loved. They saw the miracles he did. And as they began to walk with him and minister with him and grow in him, he began to make them into men that were going to be at the forefront of leading the church. Once Jesus was crucified and resurrected to ascend back to heaven, these 11 that were left after Judas hanged himself, these 11 were what Jesus left to start the church. These are the ones that Jesus had poured everything he had into so that he could use them. And even though they were kind of a rough bunch, a variety of people who may not look like they go together, Jesus brought all of them together for the good. Now guess what? Jesus does the same thing for us today. 
Those of us who are disciples, who are followers of Jesus Christ, who are in this church, who make up this body that we call Enterprise Baptist Church, those of us who are in this room, guess what? We're really not so different than these 12 that Jesus called. Because guess what? Some of us are a little more mild-mannered. We're a little more meek. Some of us are a little more zealous. We're a little more extreme. Some of us may come from a rough background. Some of us may not have our, our eyes set where they need to get. But even though we have all of these flaws, God still loves us. If we come to Him and we accept Jesus Christ, we are His disciples. It doesn't mean that He wants us to continue living in a sinful way or doing wrong things, but He does want to transform us. Just as Jesus poured into these twelve, Jesus wants to pour into you. He wants to transform you and us as a body into people. Even though we are different, we can work together. Because really we are the same, because we are all Christians, we are all followers of Jesus Christ if we put our trust in Him. And our goal should be to serve Him, to tell others about Him. We're all the same in that way if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But yet in this room we are all different. We are all different in many different ways, in our personalities, in our attitudes, in our gifts, in our abilities. And even though we are all different, God can use us for His glory. I don't, I don't doubt for a second. I believe that God puts people where He wants them to be. I believe that we're all in these pews today because God has led you here. You come here because you want to be here. And I believe that the Holy Spirit kind of guides us and lets us see where we maybe should go. And, and we end up there. And, and I don't believe it's a coincidence that these very people in this room today are the ones that are here. I believe that there's a reason why God has brought each of us together as a body, and it's because He can use us to do what He wants us to do. And what He wants us to do may be different than what He wants some other group of believers to do because they don't have the same makeup as us. They're all different from us too, but in different ways than us. But God brings people together, and He desires to pour into us His Word, he desires for us to put on Christ, as the Scriptures say, and live in Christ, and use whatever He has given us, use our personalities, as different as they may be, for the furtherment of His kingdom. And we need to remember that as a group of believers, that although we may uh, be different, we are all the same, and we all should have the same focus and same goal, and that is to follow and serve Jesus Christ. With that being said, even among the disciples, even though I do believe Jesus loved them all the same, even though they all were the same and that they were all apostles, I don't think some were lesser than apostles and some were greater than apostles, uh, they were all apostles, but even still, there were some that had a higher calling. I think that's pretty clear through Jesus' teaching. There were some who Jesus poured more time into, and that was Peter, James, and John. They were there with him in some significant moments. And I don't believe that there's a coincidence that Jesus poured into these. What I believe is that Jesus saw an ability in these three that maybe the rest of them didn't have. Now that's true in the church today too. There are some of us in here who have certain abilities. We can do certain things, and there are others who just don't have those abilities. It doesn't mean that you're a lesser Christian. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God can't use you. It just means that there are some that God calls for a higher, for a, for a higher purpose or for a different purpose, maybe I should say. Now, we see that clearly throughout the Scripture. There are some who are called to be this. There are some who are called to be that. There are some who are called to be something other. And in this room, there's a, there's a variety of people who may be called 
in a variety of different ways. And there are some who he calls to one thing because they are the ones who can carry out that one thing. Now, Peter is probably the most famous apostle. Uh, he also, uh, I might would consider him the, the boldest apostle. Uh, Peter was pretty bold throughout the ministry of Jesus. He was, he was always willing to step up and speak, maybe when the rest of them weren't. Uh, when Jesus was walking on the water and they were in the boat, the other 11 stayed in the boat, but not Peter. You may say, well, boy, Peter, he, had, he didn't have enough faith. He got out there and sank. What about the other 11? They never got out of the boat. At least Peter was bold enough to say, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, come on. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water. And what an amazing experience that would be. Passages like that show us the boldness of Peter. Peter says, uh, look, Lord, whenever they come for you, I'll never deny you. I'm not going to deny you. I'll stand for you no matter what happens to you. Well, guess what Peter did? He denied Jesus three times. He was bold to speak up. When Jesus was talking about having to give his life on the cross, uh, Peter was saying, no, I'm not going to let it happen. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, Peter was bold to speak up and say these things, but when it came down to it, Peter did fail. He did deny Jesus. But you know what Jesus did? He restored him. And you know what Peter's boldness did from that point on when he was restored in John 21? Peter's boldness put him at the forefront of the church. Peter's boldness put him preaching and teaching. And right alongside Peter, you know who else was there? John, that crazy son of thunder. That crazy guy who was bold, wanting to have, have fire come down from heaven and strike people. And here were these two bold people who were maybe hotheads and got a little ahead of themselves. But of all people who were at the forefront of leading the church in the book of Acts, there were Peter and John. You say, well, where was James? Well, he died early on in the book of Acts. He was a martyr for the Lord. So obviously he was serving the Lord and he was zealous for the Lord so much so that he was ready to give his life. And I don't think it was a coincidence that these two that were left, Peter and John, were at the forefront of leading the church. I believe that's exactly what, what Jesus intended. I believe that's exactly what Jesus had prepared them for. He knew their boldness would get them into trouble, but he knew with a little love and a little forgiveness and pouring a little bit into them and restoring them a little bit that the thing that used to get them in trouble would be the thing that would, that would help further the kingdom of God. And so don't be discouraged if, if maybe you say, well, boy, what I can do ain't what, what somebody else can do. Well, it may not be. It may be something else. It may be something that's simple in your eyes, but in God's eyes, He can use us for whatever He desires to use us for. And it's just that simple. Some have an ability that others do not have. Take, for instance, Billy Graham. Now, very seldom do we see someone that has the impact that Billy Graham has. It's just that simple. He could fill up stadiums of people. He could lead people to Jesus Christ. The Spirit was on him, and he did this for years and had a huge impact. But there are few men with that calling. There are a few men that, that I know of, at least in history, that have that ability. There are some, and God does bless them and use them occasionally. But those men are few and far between. There are lots of preachers in this world, but few have the abilities and, and the giftedness that God has bestowed upon them as Billy Graham. There are many preachers in this world who are just like me, who would never fill up a stadium, who will probably never fill every seat in this church, and that's okay because God uses each of us even in a certain calling of being preachers. There are some that he calls to a small church, and there are some that he gifts with the ability to fill up stadiums and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is okay. Because every piece that God puts in place, He puts it in place for His purpose. So don't ever doubt what you can do. 
you just have a willing heart. You say, God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to serve you. God, I may have failed, but God, I want to do right by you. And God, my heart is open. My heart is, is willing. I surrender to you. Lead me in what you want me to do. And God will do that. And it may be in some uh, big ministry, so to speak, if you want to call it that, of being a pastor or a missionary, or it may be in something simple if you dare to call it that. But whatever God calls you to do, that's what He wants you to do. And I don't believe we should label things as big or small. We should simply say we are part of God's kingdom, and we all work together just as these apostles did. The third thing I think we see with discipleship among these 12 and among many others in Scripture is that the cost of discipleship is high. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a servant of Jesus, is not an easy thing. It cost us. There were many disciples of Jesus who couldn't hang in there because the cost was too high, because they didn't want to give up something that Jesus was telling them to give up. They didn't want to put Jesus first. They wanted to do other things. And Jesus said, look, you've got to put these things to the side. You've got to be able to... Take up your cross daily. Now these are things that are difficult. When we start talking about putting away things that may be convenient for us or maybe things that are, are comforts for us, and Jesus may be saying, I want you to put those things away. I want you to do away with those things. When Jesus says, I want you to, I want you to focus completely on me and don't worry about this other stuff. When Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross daily and follow me, that is, it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be something that some people are going to really give you a hard time about. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be mocked. And Jesus even told his disciples, look, if they do this to me, they'll do it to you. If they do it to me, they're going to do it to you. And the same is true for you and I. If they, if they, will, if they will mock Jesus and they, will, and they will nail him to a cross, if they will beat him and put a crown of thorn on his heads, if they will take his life, Jesus said they will do the same to you. And guess what? They will. We see that in our world today. There are many brothers and sisters in Christ who have given their life for Jesus Christ, who are being imprisoned, who are being beaten, and who are ultimately being killed because they love Jesus Christ. If we are going to follow Jesus Christ, we need to know that it's not always going to be easy, but I can assure you that it will always be worth it. It may not always be easy, but I can assure you that He will always be with you. It may not always seem like it's, it, it's going to be worth it, but I can assure you it is worth it to serve Jesus Christ. Because people can take our life in this world, but they can never take our soul. If we live in this world, we, we live for Jesus Christ, but if we die in Jesus Christ, it is gain for us, Paul says. We gain when we leave this world and go to be with the Lord. We may sometimes see these missionaries and we may say, Oh, boy, it's so sad that they gave their life for the Lord. No, it's not. It's, it's wonderful that these men and women were so on fire for God that they were willing to serve Him. And who knows what impact they might have on the very people who were killing them, even up to the point right before they died. What if they said a word that was going to open their ears and open their heart and open their mind? What if they repeated the very words of Jesus before they die and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even in their death, I believe that these brothers and sisters in Christ can have an impact on those who are bringing them to death in the same way that Jesus did as He was hanging on the cross. And for those who serve the Lord, whether we suffer a, 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 
a, a bad death or not, or whether we die a normal death as a follower of Jesus Christ, if we serve Him, boy, what a blessed and wonderful day that will be, and what a gain that will be for us when we are with our Savior. <coughs> now these 12 men followed Jesus, except for one, except for Judas. 11 of them remained faithful to Jesus, but one of them turned away from Jesus for a few pieces of silver for what the world had to offer. There were many that Jesus called that never followed Him. There were some that Jesus called who remained faithful to Him, and there were some that Jesus called who were faithful for a little while but ultimately deserted Him. We see that with Jesus, and we see it with other uh, disciples in Scripture too. The question is, which of those are you? Are you those who have been called by Jesus and are rejecting Him? Maybe you've heard the Scripture, you've read the Scripture. You feel the Holy Spirit maybe tugging on you. You feel conviction, but you reject Jesus. There were many people in Jesus' day that rejected Jesus. And I would venture to say that all of His sermons were perfect. Jesus, the Son of God, who preached every time He preached and every time He taught, it was perfect. And even with perfect sermons and perfect teachings, there were still those who rejected Him. Even though He was faithful to read the Word of God, to read the prophets, and to, and to point them in the right direction, they still rejected Him. There are many in this world today who have heard Jesus. They've read His words in Scripture. They know in their heart, they feel that conviction, but they still reject Him. I hope there's nobody in this room today, but if there is, I don't want you to be one that walks out of that door today rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't be one of those. There are some in this room that have already put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've heard the invitation where Jesus says, Come follow me. Repent. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And you've done that. You've repented. You've entered into the kingdom. And you are walking with Jesus Christ. You are His disciple. There are some of you today who are doing that, praise the Lord. There are some of you today just like these apostles, and you need a little work. But Jesus knew it, and He still called you. And He's still working on you. He still wants to use you. He wants to take your weaknesses, and He wants to turn them into strengths. And for those of you who are walking in Jesus Christ today, who have put on Christ, who are faithful to Him, who are, who are a faithful, obedient servant, and who are His follower, and He is your Lord, then I encourage you to stand firm, to run the race with endurance, keeping your eye on the author and the perfecter of your faith. That is Jesus Christ. Laying aside every weight that, 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 that's weighing you down, every sin that so easily ensnares you and tangles you up. Cast those things aside and turn to Jesus Christ and keep your eyes on Him. If you're His follower, that's what we need to do. We need to keep running the race. And we need to be on guard. Because there were many when the going got tough or when the things of the world came in like that parable that Jesus talks about, those thorns come in. Sometimes they choke out our love for the Father. And there were many disciples, the Scripture says, that turned away from Jesus, that quit following Him. There's one that we know definitely from this list that was Judas, that was caught up with things of the world, that turned away from Jesus Christ. Well, we don't want to be those who, love our, who lose our love for the Lord. 
We don't want to be those who become lukewarm. We want to be those who are zealous and zealous for the Lord. We want to be those who are bold and bold for the Lord. We want to be those who stand firm even when the going gets tough, even when people are coming against us, even when the temptations of the world are there to pull us away from Jesus. We want to be those who do not give in to the things of the world, but we want to be those who stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on His death and on His resurrection. And on that we put our hope today. Let us learn from how Jesus taught the disciples. Let us learn the same examples that He taught them. Let us learn to be like them, to be at the forefront of the church, and let us not give in to the temptations of evil that we fall in the same way like those like Judas did. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You this morning. I thank You for these words, and I pray, God, that as we talked about Your your apostles and disciples today, dear Lord, that we can, uh, we can see some of the strengths and, and, and things that they had, dear Lord. God, I thank you for calling us together as a group here at Enterprise Baptist Church. I thank you for the, the, the gifts and the abilities that you've given us. God, help us not to be discouraged if we don't have the gift that we think we should have, but God, help us just to be ready to be used by you in whatever way that, that we can. And God, if there's a rough edge, I pray that you would sand that off, smooth it off. If there's a weakness in us, I pray that you would change that to a strength. Help us to be bold for you. Help us to serve you in whatever way we were called. And help us to remain obedient to you in whatever way we can, dear Lord, that we don't stray away. I pray, God, that you would be with anyone in this room that's never accepted Jesus. God, maybe there are some and they've been rejecting him all a long time. Maybe they've heard his word for a long time. Maybe they know that he's the Savior of the world, but they just don't want to give in, dear Lord. I pray today that they would, that they would consider the cost worthy that they would consider that it's worth anything that we have to give, dear Lord, because Jesus has already given everything for us. And so I pray, God, that if there's one in this room that's never accepted Jesus, that today they would come to Him, that they would be a disciple, that, that He would be able to begin to work in their heart and transform them into the man or the woman that He wants them to be. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.